I believe, isn't it? Is that it? No more announcements? Okay. Come with me, please, to the book of Isaiah again. Coincidentally, we're in Isaiah this morning. book of Isaiah, chapter 49. Isaiah 49. And we'll read a few verses together, reading from verse 8. But I'll just give you a moment to find it. We also need to make an apology to use uh, mums, uh, mums and toddlers. Uh, whenever we cleared up the uh, all the Easter drama production stuff, the whole set and everything, we inadvertently cleared up all the uh, heaters. So we have no idea where they are. They could be in that roof space. They could be in the shed outside. They could be in the Lurgan dump for all we know. Uh, so we hadn't even got a heater this morning in that room, and apparently it was Baltic in there this morning. It was hot here, but it was cold there. But we will have them for next Sunday, should we have to buy them. There's a novel idea, isn't it? But we will. We'll have them for you. We'll find them or buy them. All right, Isaiah chapter 49, and we'll read from verse 8. Thus saith the Lord, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. I will preserve you and give you as a covenant to the people to restore the earth, to cause them to inherit the desolate heritages, that you may say to the prisoners, Go forth to those who are in darkness, show yourselves. They shall feed, feed along the roads, and their pasture shall be on all desolate heights. They shall neither hunger nor thirst, neither heat nor sun shall strike them. For he who has had mercy on them will lead them. Even by the springs of water he will guide them. I will make each of my mountains a road, and my highways shall be elevated. Surely these shall come from afar. Look, those from the north and the west, and those from the land of Sinem. Sing, O heavens, be joyful, O earth, and break out in singing, O mountains. For the Lord has comforted his people, and will have mercy on his afflicted. I want you to underline the next verse. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me, and my Lord has forgotten me. And God answers, Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands, and your walls are continually before me. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me, and my Lord has forgotten me. I want you to imagine, if you will, a magnificent building. Say, the Taj Mahal in India. Or, the Parthenon in Greece, or perhaps the Pyramid of Giza in Egypt. And I want you to visualize it in three perspectives. I want you to visualize it, first of all, as a photograph. Then, visualize it as a scale model. And thirdly, visualize it as if you're physically there seeing it with your own eyes. Now, which of those three do you suppose would give you the truest 
perspective and appreciation of its splendor. The photograph. Even though it was well taken, taken on a beautiful Canon camera, Gary. Just had to get that in with the best filter. Or the photograph may be good, but it's simply one dimension, isn't it? Or perhaps the scale model. Even though it may be precision made, and even though it may be the most intricate model you have ever seen, and even though it's much more dimensional, obviously, but it lacks sheer magnitude, sheer scale. Because after all, it's only a, a scaled-down model, isn't it? But what about if you were actually there? And you were standing with your own eyes looking at it. Would that not be the best perspective that you could ever have. Your personal perspective makes all the difference. And in life, and in the circumstances of your life, your perspective, how you see things, will make all the difference in how you handle things. It makes all the difference how you handle it. You either see things as how they appear to be or how they actually are. Either one of those two perspectives. Depending on which one will determine how you handle the problem. Alan Redpath, a great late Baptist preacher, he said something I found very, very helpful. He said that you can look at your circumstances in two ways. You've heard me say this before. You can look at your circumstances through God, or you can look at God through your circumstances. And there's a vast difference between those two. And you will either look at your circumstances through God, or you will look at God through your circumstances. You will do one or the other. And whatever one you do will determine how you handle the problem how you deal with the situation. If you view God through the fog and the cloud and the darkness of your circumstances, God, I promise you, will be very dim and distant. But if you look at your circumstances through God, suddenly they become conquerable, defeatable. Manageable, doable. It depends what way you're looking. Now the problem with the people in Isaiah 49 was exactly this. They had been looking at God through their circumstances. They had been 70 long years in captivity. And they had forgotten how good God was. They had forgotten His mercies and His long-suffering and his compassion, and his faithfulness, which fails not, Jeremiah said. They've forgotten all of that. And even though God spent some time, and that's why I read the Scriptures before, even though God spent some time reminding them how good he was, 
and how blessed he wanted to bless them, how blessed they were, how he wanted to bless them, even though he reminded them all of that. And at the end of it, they still said, God has forsaken us. My Lord does not remember me anymore. What was wrong? They were looking at God through their circumstances. And they seemed very, he seemed very distant, very dim, very far away, very uninvolved, very aloof. Their perspective had absolutely changed. Now, God here was trying to change their perspective, trying to change their outlook from that narrow, grayscale, monochrome outlook they had about God. So he's trying to change how they think. So he said, can a mother forget her nursing child? Can a mother actually do that? Yes, it could happen. But he says, I'll never forget you. Another scripture, God says, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I will be with you right even to the very end. Sometimes we need reminded of just how good God is. Because if we only ever look at God through our circumstances, it's not that attractive. Sometimes you feel like he's forgotten about you. Sometimes your circumstances are so dire and so difficult and so strange and so awkward and so whatever that suddenly God seems a million miles away because that's the lens that you're trying to look through. But if you look at your circumstances through God, then God's bigger and greater and better and able. Do you remember way back in the Old Testament, in 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18 and 19, that great story of Elijah, the prophet of Tishbite. In the very first verse of chapter 17 of 1 Kings, it says, And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, Ahab was the most wicked king of Israel. His wife Jezebel was a really wicked, evil woman. Her very name, Jezebel, has gone down in history of, of someone who is wicked and evil. So he said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. And so Elisha is looking at the nation. It's far from God. They have completely backslidden. They're idolatrous. They're worshipping idols and pagan gods. There's all kinds of immorality and perversions going on in the land, the length and breadth of it, right from the very king and the queen all the way down. So all those circumstances are prevailing in the nation. But he looks at those circumstances through God. And he's determined to do something about it. So he sends word to Ahab that there will be no rain nor dew these years according to my word. And if you skip on down to right to the very first verse of chapter 18. And it came to pass after many days 
that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go present yourselves to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So after three years of terrible drought and famine, the judgment of God upon the land for their wickedness, he sends a message to Ahab that he's going to send rain upon the earth. But I want you to notice here. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab, and there was a severe famine in Samaria. And Ahab called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. For so it was, while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them 50 to a cave, and had fed them with water and bread. And Ahab had said to Obadiah, Go into all the land, to all the springs of water, and to all the brooks. Perhaps we may find grass to keep the horses and mules alive, so that we may not have to kill the livestock. So things were pretty bad, weren't they? So they divided the land between them to explore it. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. Now as Obadiah was on his way, suddenly Elijah met him, and he recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is that you, my lord Elijah? Elijah? And he answered him, It is I. Go tell your master, Elijah is here. So he said, How have I sinned that you are delivering your servant into the hands of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation nor kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you. And when they said he is not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or nation that they could not find you. And now you say, Go tell your master, Elijah is here. And it shall come to pass as soon as I am gone from you that the Spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place I do not know. So when I go and tell Ahab that he cannot, and he cannot find you, he will kill me. But I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Was it not reported to my Lord that I did what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid them 100 men of the Lord's prophets and 50 to a cave, fed them with bread and water? And now you say, go tell the master Elijah's here. He will kill me. And Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, Is that Jew, O troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who ate at Jezebel's table. And so Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. Elijah came to all the people and said, How long would you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him, but if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore let them give us two bulls, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it in pieces, lay it on the wood, and put no fire under it, and I will prepare the other bull, and lay it on wood, and put no fire under it. And then you shall call the name of your gods, and I will call the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire, he is God. 
And so those prophets of Baal made their altar, they slew the bull, they put it on there, and they cried unto their gods, and there was no answer. And Elijah mocked them, said, maybe he's gone on business. Maybe he's sleeping and can't hear you. And they cried all the more and they cut themselves to ribbons. And they danced and they prophesied all day to noon and nothing happened. And then verse 30, Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. So all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones according to the numbers of the tribes of the son of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench around the large altar, the altar large enough to hold two seas of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood and said, Fill four water pots with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice on the wood. Then he said, Do it a second time. And they did it a second time. He said, Do it a third time. And they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar and he also filled the trench with water. And it came to pass, at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God, that you have turned their, and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of the abundance of rain. Now you can see in chapter 18 and chapter 17, you can see him looking at his circumstances through God. And because he looked at his circumstances through God, he was standing there as a servant of God with the anointing and the power of God and God heard his cry before all of those people. God vindicated this prophet. And he said to Ahab, there's a sound of abundance of rain. You better get back before the rain starts because when this rain comes on, it's really going to come on. And you can read the, that little bit of a story to the end of that chapter. But note this. See how his perspective changes in the next chapter. Chapter 19, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Now you would have thought at that point, the fear of God would have come into this woman, wouldn't you? I mean, fire come down from heaven on the mountain, killing all the prophets of Baal with the sword. You thought the fear of God would have come into this woman. But instead of that, she gets worse. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, note that, when he saw that, see this is his perspective is changing now. When he saw that, 
He had his eyes on God before. He looked at his circumstances through God. But now he's looking at God through his circumstances. And his whole perspective changes. And when he saw that, he arose and he ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Did you see how his perspective changed? Did you see the difference that it made? You know, one day, standing on that mountaintop, he's calling fire down from heaven. He's killing prophets of Baal with his sword. God's answering dramatically his prayers. The whole nation's saying, God, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. And then suddenly, this woman makes one threat. And suddenly, when he sees that, his whole perspective changes. And now, he's looking at God through his circumstances. And suddenly everything changes. And he runs for his life. And he lies down under a broom tree and he says, God, I've had it. I, I've just had enough. Nothing's changed. Nothing has changed. Nation hasn't changed. King hasn't changed. Queen hasn't changed. That show was all for nothing. Wasted my time. You might as well not even answer that prayer. Nothing's changed. See, his whole perspective now has changed. Now he's not talking faith, he's talking fear. Now he's not positive, he's negative. Everything has just changed in that moment. If you were to read on in that story, you'd see that the angel came to him. And God began to deal with him. An angel gave him some food. And had a good sleep. And then he went to Horeb. Into a cave there. And God spoke to him again with a still, small voice. You know, that's Horobosanii. That's where Moses went. And I got a sneaky feeling that, that maybe he thought, I, I'll just, just go up there. And he ended a cave. And there was thunder and lightning and earthquake and fire. But God didn't speak to him through any of that the way he did with Moses. He just spoke in a still, small voice. What are you doing here? Elijah, what are you doing here? But God hadn't finished with him. And God gives him some directions on what he's to do and who he's to point even in his place. So you see how that the perspective can change. Remember Numbers 13? Remember the story of the spies? How that God sent 12 of them out to spy out the land. And Moses said, check it out. See what it's like. You know, see what the food's like. See whether they're cities or just villages. See whether they're armed or unarmed. See whether they're fortified or not fortified. You know, see whether they're big or small, whether they're strong or weak. Just, just reconnoiter, just check it out. Because we've got to take the land. And whenever those 12 went out, do you remember what happened? How they saw the land was flowing with milk and honey, as it were, and how the great grapes of Ashkol, these wonderful, great, luscious bunches of massive grapes, they took two men to carry them in poles, one, one cluster. But then they saw the children of Anak there, the descendants of the giants. And they get frightened. And their perspective changed. 
And they saw them. And he says, we were like grasshoppers in their sight. We just felt like grasshoppers. They're so big, they're huge. Their whole perspective changed. Suddenly, they're looking at God through their circumstances. And God seems so small, and the giant seems so tall. And they come back, the Bible says, with an evil report. You know, they were told that they were able to take the land, but they didn't believe it. Because they looked the wrong way. And when those two, Joshua and Caleb, come back, two out of the twelve said, we are well able to take this land. Because they looked at their circumstances through God. And it made all the difference in the world, didn't it? And it will make all the difference to you and it will make all the difference to me. You know, way back in the Old Testament again, Remember the story of Job? Remember those miserable comforters that he had? What a bunch. You know, if you're not well and you're ill, the last thing you want is guys, I guess, coming to visit you in the hospital. I mean, if you weren't sick, they would make you sick. If you hadn't a sore head when they come in, you'd have a sore head when they go out. And so, here these... So-called comforters come. And all they did was just blame Job. They looked at God through Job's circumstances. And they, here's what they said. Here's basically what they said. Job, now Job was a righteous man. Favor God was on. They said, Job, all of this stuff that's happened to your life, this big mess you're in right now, everything you've lost... It's all been taken away from me. You know why? Because you've got secret sin. You're not as holy as you thought you were. You're a big hypocrite. I'm paraphrasing. But that's basically what they meant. They were slightly a bit more diplomatic than that, but not much. And so day after day, they would come to him with this stuff. It's really your problem because God's angry with you because really you haven't been living right. Everybody thought you were, but really you weren't. And now God's punishing you for all the stuff you were doing. And so, in chapter 13 of Job, I'm reading this from the New Living Translation. Job says, Look, I have seen many instances such as you describe. I understand what you're saying. I know as much as you do. You're no better than I am. How long, how long I long to speak directly to the Almighty. I want to argue my case with God himself. For you're smearing me with lies. As doctors, you're worthless quacks. Please be quiet. That's the smartest thing you could do. Listen to my charge. Pay attention to my arguments. Are you defending God by means of lies and dishonest arguments? You should be impartial witnesses. But you slant your testimony in his favor. In other words, you're saying, well, God's doing this. We're witnesses. To, this is what we really witness. This is what we feel that God's doing this. Will you argue God's case for him? Be careful that he doesn't find out what you're doing. Or do you think you can fool him as easily as you can fool people? No, you will be in serious trouble with him, even in your hearts, you, even if in your hearts you slant your testimony in his favor. Doesn't his majesty strike terror into your heart? Doesn't you, don't, does not your fear of him seize you? Your statements, 
have about as much value as ashes. Your defense is as fragile as a clay pot. Be silent and leave me alone. Let me speak and I will face the consequences. Yes, I will take my life in my hands and say what I really think. God might kill me, but I cannot wait. I'm going to argue my case with him. But this is what will save me. I am not godless. If I were, then I would be thrown from his presence. Though God slay me, the King James says, I'll still trust him. I'll still trust him. That's my perspective. All these circumstances, it's happening to me. I'm just going to look to God. I don't understand them. And he freely said, I don't understand this. Can't get my head around it. All this stuff is happening. My whole life's just shattered. But he said, I'm not going to take my eye off God. And even if God was to kill me, he said, I'll still trust him. What a perspective. What a difference. You remember Psalm 73, that great worship leader, songwriter called Asaph? He was the one who led the worship in the temple. He composed some of the Psalms. Highly gifted man. Always in the presence of the Lord. Loved the house of the Lord. Remember how in Psalm 73, he starts and he begins to look at God through his circumstances. For then halfway through, he gets a different perspective and he starts to look at his circumstances through God. And it's so plain in Psalm 73. Again, if I may just read a bit of this from the New Living Translation. I was reading this today and there's a little bit you'll smile at when you come to it. I had to smile to myself. Truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. But as for me, I came close to the edge of the cliff. My feet were slipping. I was almost gone. I was completely, nearly backslid away. For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. You know, that's an age-old question for Christians. How come some people live like the devil and they seem to have a great time? Seem to have a wonderful life. Nothing seems to happen to them. Well, here the psalmist is thinking the same thing. They seem to live such a painless life. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They aren't troubled like other people or plagued with problems like everybody else. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace and their clothing is woven of cruelty. This is what I smiled at today. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. That's right up to date, isn't it? These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak only evil. And in their pride, they seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens, and their words strut throughout the earth. And so the people are dismayed and confused, drinking all their words. Does God realize what is going on, they ask? Is the Most High even aware of what is happening? Look at these arrogant people enjoying a life of ease with their riches, while their riches multiply. Was it for nothing that I kept myself, my heart pure? And kept myself from doing wrong. All I get is trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. If I had really spoken this way, I would have been a traitor to your people. 
So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper. But what a difficult task it is. Now, that's one perspective, isn't it? He's looking at God through his circumstances. That's pretty bleak, isn't it? And God just seems to be totally... God, have you forgotten? Are you not even aware of what's happening? Can you not see? Can you not understand how we feel? But then let us see how he looks at his circumstances through God. Verse 17. Then one day I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I thought about the destiny of the wicked. <coughs> I began to think not in the short term, but in the long term. I began to see the bigger picture. This is what he's saying. Truly, you put them on a slippery path and send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. In an instant, they are destroyed, swept away by terrors. Their present life is only a dream that is gone when they awake. When you arise, O Lord, you will make them vanish from this life. Then I realized how bitter I had become, how pained I had been by all I had seen. I was so foolish and ignorant, I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. Yet I still belong to you. You are holding my right hand. You will keep on guiding me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail, and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Glory to God. Amen. Isn't that wonderful when you see how his whole perspective began to change when he began to look at his circumstances through God. And that's what we need to do as well. We don't need to read it, but Luke chapter 1. The angel of the Lord Gabriel comes to Mary, a young virgin espoused to Joseph. Married in name, but hadn't consummated the marriage. It's part of the tradition in those days. They'd marry quite young. They'd have to wait a while. Then there'd be a ceremony. But she was spoken for. She was as good as married. But actually, marriage had not been consummated. Gabriel comes and he says, Mary, you're highly favored by God. And I've got a great message for you. You are going to be pregnant. And that child that will be born of you is going to be holy. And he gave her a whole wonderful prophecy about the Christ that would be born. And suddenly, suddenly, she looks at God through her circumstances. And the first thing she says is, how can this thing be, seeing I know not a man? I just can't see how this is going to happen. She looked at her circumstances. She thought, it can't be possible. If Joseph and I had consummated the marriage, it would be possible, but that kind of happened for a while yet, so this cannot be possible. This can happen. And she's probably thinking, if it did happen now, how would I explain it? And the angel said, the Holy Ghost will come. 
And something mysterious, something supernatural, something extraordinary is going to happen to you. You know what she said then? She changed. And she said, be it unto me according to your word. I don't know how. I don't know how this is going to take place. But I'm going to trust the word that I've been given. And regardless of what other people may think. You know, she had a husband-to-be who was definitely going to think and did think. In fact, they put her away privately. But her perspective changed. And once she got a handle on it, once she looked at her circumstances through God, then she said, be it unto me according to your word. Amen. And that's exactly what you and I have got to do. I'm just going to read maybe just one more little portion and then we'll close. Philippians chapter 4. And you know this so well, but it's worth reading. Reading from verse 6 of Philippians 4. Paul admonishes us. He says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And if you do that, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Perspective. What are we looking at? How are we viewing things? Do we see God through our circumstances? Or do we see our circumstances through God? See what Paul's trying to get us to do? To see our circumstances through God. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, because this is how we see our circumstances through God. Whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Isn't that lovely? You know, Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 6, about worrying he says, it will not add one inch to your stature. It will do absolutely nothing for you. Just trust him and trust his word. So what is our perspective? Your outlook will determine the outcome. Your outlook will determine the outcome. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we're very prone to forgetting the truths of your word and the heat of the battle and the mess of circumstances and the surprises and the shocks of life that's thrown at us from time to time. Lord, our perspective gets out of sync. We don't see things as we ought to see them. So Lord, would you teach us 
Would you encourage us? Would you help us to see our circumstances through you? And Lord, that you may be bigger than the mountain we face, greater than the problem, Lord, that we're coming against. Help us, Lord, to trust you, to see you, to depend upon you. And Lord, to think on the things that are pure and lovely, of good report, of any virtue. Lord, to focus our attention on that which is right. So, Lord, that we get a wonderful victory in every and any circumstance of life. So, Lord, help us this night as we go out into a working week, Lord, to remember the truths of your word. So, Lord, that we may overcome in every and any situation to the glory of God in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen.